1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballew. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. Kate, is it really
0: already time to talk about the winter solstice? (laughs) I mean, I'm not complaining because it's a pretty special event and one that I absolutely look forward to each and every year.
1: But still, it always just sneaks up on you. I know we're here already. (laughs) I feel (laughs) like I could really use some winter magic this year, like we all can, Um, but it just seems like we were talking about the summer solstice pre-podcast days yesterday. The worst cliche. (laughs) (laughs) But what is it about the winter solstice that you love so much?
0: Uh, So many things. The long nights, the stormy weather, the slower pace of existing, but also selfishly, my birthday is on the 22nd. So, even as a young child celebrating Christmas, I like to pretend that all the Yule and solstice decorations and festivities were actually for me. (laughs) I think being born during the darkest time of the year pretty much guarantees that midwinter will always have a special place in my heart.
1: Ah, so soon. I love birthdays. I love this time of year. The Christmas decorations, altars, garlands, they're all a favorite of mine. My first two jobs were at an ice cream shop in the summer and a Christmas tree farm in the winter. So as a teenager, I worked in a pole barn trimming trees to make them into garlands. The smell and that energy always strikes a real chord with me.
0: I have to believe that your future as a plant witch maybe had something to do with that. Do you still make garlands? It feels like it would be such a nice way to connect with the energy of plants during the winter months when you sort of have to get creative in that department.
1: Yeah, I haven't in a really long time, but maybe I should. I wonder where in Brooklyn I can kind of get some loose evergreen and holly to like make into my own sort of, I think, swags is what they call them. But that would be a lot of fun. Um, I also worked at an ornament shop while I was in college, and I wrote a little bit about this in the Welcome to December piece for Magic and Alchemy, but these sort of ornaments and decorations, evergreen, mistletoe, and holly have been used ritually for ages. That just came in my inbox this
0: afternoon, and (laughs) I really loved your focus on renewal for this time of year. Because it is really the time for us to recharge and get creative, and plants are great muses for this. Do you have a lot of seasonal plants around your home or within a winter solstice, or you'll alter?
1: yeah, I mean, I think I really love working with trees during this time, like if if it's available, a pine forest, especially if there's new snow. Um, And going through a walk through that landscape is about as magical as it can get.
0: I love that image of a person walking through a forest of evergreen because I have the theory that winter solstice is a threshold, one that will lead us to the weaver of destiny that lies in all of us. Winter, specifically the month of December, has long been associated with death. It's easy to see why. By now, the trees are bare, the soil is likely covered in snow or saturated with rain, and many animals are hibernating, giving Mother Nature's typically active landscape a quiet, almost dreamlike quality. But we know that death is not the end. It's a pause. It's the precursor to rebirth which of course means that something new and fruitful is lingering on the horizon. And this is evident in the Northern Hemisphere on December 21st, or in the Southern Hemisphere on June 21st. It's the longest night of the year, also known as the winter solstice. After the solstice, the nights will steadily dwindle shorter, and little by little, the moon will pass the torch back to her partner, the sun. I like to think that midwinter, and specifically the days around the solstice, are a powerful time to connect with the energy of now. We've moved past the hustle and bustle of summertime activities, the responsibilities of harvest season are over, and the rush to seed the fertile earth for a spring garden is still a ways away. I recently wrote a solstice ritual that was an extra offering in Tamed Wild's November box, which I believe will also be shared on the Magic and Alchemy blog. But for this ritual, I was inspired by the Roman goddess Decima. You might also know her by her Greek counterpart, Lachesis. Decima stands for 10 or 10th, as in the 10th month of the calendar year, which December used to be in the ancient Roman world.
1: Before I got that in the mail, Decima was totally new to me.
0: Well, then I'm very happy to introduce you to her, for Decima is one of the three sisters of fate.
1: Is this similar to the Grey Sisters?
0: I don't believe so, but there are several groups of three, specifically three sisters, mentioned throughout mythology, so it would be easy to overlap one set of sisters with another. But the sisters of fate were famous. Even Zeus, who in the Greek version was rumored to be their father, kept his distance from these women for fear of doing anything that might displease them. As the middle sister, Decima is responsible for weaving the details of our destiny. Although some stories insist that the fates decide our purpose on the day of our birth and cannot be swayed, like all deities, they take special note of those who speak to them, leave them offerings, and most importantly, express gratitude for their efforts on our behalf. Decima focuses on the details, the parts of our story that might be overlooked if we only concentrate on the big picture. But it's those details, those little nuances, which appear insignificant, that actually make our stories unique. And what better time to focus on the details of our personal life story than a month when Mother Nature is literally pushing us inside. And I say literally, but I don't only mean literally as in inside of our homes, but also inside of our minds. It's as if Mother Earth is saying, stop everything, and for now, just listen. Historically, midwinter is when people in the old world would focus on inner work, Activities like reading, studying, journaling, scrying, among other divinatory practices, or meditative crafts like needlework or kitchen witchery were popular at this time of year. Even sleeping more was encouraged, because if you slept in later than normal, you would save on firewood to heat your house, and if you went to bed early, say when the sun set, you would save on fuel for your oil
1: lamps. So we can finally confirm napping is witchcraft.
0: (laughs) Well, from my perspective, yes. It's all about getting in sync with Mother Nature's cycles. And if doing that also helps us tap into the well of information within the unconscious mind, well, that's just an extra bonus. So with all this resting and focus on inner work happening, people often begin to feel inspired. By now, they've replenished their energy reserves, and so they start making plans and setting goals for when the ground thaws. If we practice lunar magic, we can think of the winter solstice as the dark or new moon phase. It's when we visualize, set intentions, and when we take the first steps toward embedding our dreams into the fabric of reality. All solstices and equinoxes are thresholds. The winter solstice is the doorway that, if we can find it within the hazy, dreamlike landscape of December, will guide us to the weaver of destiny that resides in all of us. Many of us will celebrate the winter solstice over several days, or, if you're like me, for the entirety of Capricorn season. According to astrologer Emily Ridout, The solstice occurs at the exact moment that the sun transitions from Sagittarius into its neighboring constellation, Capricorn. It's that transition that marks the start of a new cycle. We've already been contemplating the darkness during Sagittarius and Scorpio season, and while there's still plenty of time to do that at midwinter, there is also a push to connect with Capricorn's grounding nature. The slow return of the sun that signals Capricorn season means that the areas of our life that are calling for attention will become illuminated. When they do, it's best to not ignore them, lest we feel anxious or out of sorts. Capricorn thrives off of productivity, but we don't necessarily have to go out and start doing anything right now, other than just setting aside some time to craft lists and make notes in our planner. And if you're still unsure where to start, may I recommend taking some advice from Decima? Who knows that? It's all in the details. Try using meditation, channeled writing, or whatever your preferred divination method may be to sculpt a clear vision of what your ideal life would look like if money and societal obligations were non-existent. And there's really no need to focus on how, who, or what is needed to make this happen, for those are the specifics best left up to the fates.
1: I love that. I'm going to have to do a little Decima ritual now that we've talked about this.
0: (laughs) Yes, she would love it.
1: It's really wild, too, that you're speaking of weaving and textiles as we head into the winter months, because after my Grandma Joan listened to our Kitchen Witch episode, I got a package in the mail. And I know that I messaged you over the weekend about this, but I had to save the details until we could finally talk. The package was full of ancestral witchcraft, perfect prior to researching this week's piece. In the package was a doily that her Polish grandmother, or babushka, had made. She also included recipes, as well as a book of spells that she found cleaning out her house in Dwazak, Michigan. This
0: is so special. It's literally like a story <laughs> out of a holiday movie. But I'm so happy that you're sharing this because I've been wanting to hear more.
1: Yeah, if anyone wants to see a picture of it, please message me and I'll (laughs) send it. It's really beautiful. Um, My newest Kitchen Witch mission is to make these Polish angel wing cookies that she was talking about. So as always, I'm grateful that spells and witchcraft beget more spells and witchcraft, which of course they do. (laughs) (laughs) The note with it said that my grandma's aunts had taken the most beautiful doilies that she had made, and that the one in the package was the one that had remained for my grandmother. But to me, holding this felt like a key to some different and newer parts of my practice and myself. I feel like I normally lean more into the Celtic and Germanic parts of my ancestry, so instead for this week's episode, I took a dive into witchcraft and textiles and a bit of Polish solstice celebration to connect in with my Slavic roots. I came across a story of Marzana, who is also called Morano, a Slavic goddess. The winter goddess, Marzana has several guises and multiple names in mythology. She represents the coming of winter and is one of three seasonal sisters representing the cycle of life and death. She is also a fate goddess whose arrival signifies misfortune, a kitchen goddess, and a goddess who is known for nightmares and mischievously fiddles with women's spinning.
0: I love that we both unintentionally wrote about goddesses of fate for this episode. (laughs) And for our listeners, this is not planned, but since Kate and I have been doing this podcast, we've
1: been operating on a very similar wavelength, which is very convenient. And makes a lot of sense. But it's also Mm. funny, they're both three sisters. Yeah,
0: that's true. I didn't even think of that. Mm.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) Some stories about Marzana, specifically among Russians, say that she lives in the Mirror Palace. So, I also thought this may be of interest to you, Kristen, if you didn't already know about it with your mirror gazing practice.
0: Uh, You know me so well, but I've never heard of this, so I'm very curious about this Mirror
1: Palace. So, what I found is that the palace is protected by snakes and represents the place that the Slavic people associated with funerals once again showing her role as the goddess of death and the underworld. While most traditions point back to her role as the goddess of death, another tradition states that she was not always seen this way. So in fact, it says that she was once a goddess of fertility and life, but soon was withered into a deadly old crone. So as winter approaches, Marzana is associated with the enchanted huntsman myth, the god of the sun falls in love with Marzana, and she traps his soul in a magic mirror where, rather like Persephone, he must spend the long winter.
0: It's always so fascinating to me that no matter what culture or civilization or origin we talk about, that the mirror is almost always seen as a doorway, one that can lead you somewhere, but also trap you if you're not careful.
1: Yeah, definitely. And Winter as well being the sort of like descent into that threshold or into that liminal space. Um, It's also said that if a woman spins something without first saying a prayer, Marzana will come at night and spoil all of her work. So I wonder what prayers were said before this doily was made. My grandma's note said that babsha was particular and used the doily to protect furniture. But textiles and crocheted cotton are also symbolically protective. Grandma also said that she made starch to clean the doilies with that was so overwhelming it allowed the doilies to be almost freestanding, which made me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering then what solstice rituals pagan Slavic witches may have practiced, so I found Kolyada, the Winter Solstice Celebration. Now, the dates were a little bit hard to pin down. Some of my readings mentioned the solstice, some Yule and Christmas, and some January 6th. But regardless, it is a celebration during this time of the year, and so I wanted to share my learnings. Most sources agree that collata comes from the Roman word calendae, which refers to the first 10 days of any month. But others believe that the word is derived from kolo or the wheel, much like the word yule is an Anglo-Saxon word for wheel. In the English language, tide refers to the Christmas season and is even used in contemporary Christmas songs. The winter solstice festival was filled with revelry. Processions of people masked like animals and dressed in costumes roamed the village. Often, they were accompanied by a goat's head, don't tell your goats, Kristen, (laughs) (laughs) usually handmade and placed on a stick. The person holding the goat's head on the stick would then be covered with a blanket to give an illusion of becoming a goat person. Sometimes a child, which is symbolic of the reborn son, would then accompany them seated on a horse played by two men in a horse costume. One of the pageant participants would carry a spinning solar symbol lit from within by a candle. Later, after Christianity entered the scene, the spinning sun would become a star. The group of revelers, then, would go from house to house and stop and sing songs, so much like carolers, These songs usually included invocations to the god or goddess, praises and good wishes to those who listened, requests for gifts, and threats if refused. So, also like Mm -hmm. (laughs) trick-or-treat. The gifts were called collata and usually took the form of little pastries shaped as cows or goats. So one of these singers would then carry a bundle of hazel twigs and after receiving their gifts would gently hit the host or the hostess with a small stick wishing happiness and health in the coming new year. The small twig was then left with the farmer who nailed it above his door for wealth and protection. This makes me want to go find some hazel to work with for the solstice this year. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone watch out for Kate and her hazel stick. I know. Be careful. (laughs) Bonfires were then sometimes lit, and dead ancestors were invited inside to warm themselves. I thought this was very cool and something I hadn't heard of, but mock funerals were held where a person, pretending to be dead, was carried inside the house amidst both laughter and feigned weeping. A woman would then be chosen and traditionally would kiss the corpse on the lips. The corpse would then leap up after being kissed, which was another symbol of rebirth.
0: I really love this story because although it's very death-centric with the funeral reenactment, Mm -hmm. it doesn't sound necessarily like it was a sad event. I've obviously never witnessed it, but it seems that the magical kiss that wakes up the person at the end would be followed by lots of laughter and eating and drinking and just celebrating life. Is that the same impression you got when you were doing your research?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the words camp came to mind as well as pageantry and theater and all of that seemed, yeah, very revelatory to me and a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. What are you doing for the solstice? Do you have any plans?
0: It's funny. The thing that comes to mind right away is that I always cut my hair on the winter solstice. Mm. I'm a big believer in lunar everything, hair care included, and I've been doing it for about five years now, so it's sort of become a ritual But beyond that, like the rest of the world, I'm unable to travel or receive visitors, so I'll be Skyping my family in California while spending the solstice with my husband and our goats on our farm. I've been hunting for the perfect piece of wood to transform into a yule log, which I know we are both talking about more in our next episode. So if I can spend the day doing some combination of kitchen witchery, yoga, journaling and reading, Mm -hmm. and maybe making an offering to Decima and my ancestors, I think it'll be a solstice and birthday well spent. What about you? What does a winter solstice look like in Brooklyn?
1: While well, all of your things sound beautiful and I'm probably going to take some inspiration from them because normally I kind of return to Michigan to see my family during this time from Brooklyn but this year it's all very up in the air so I really have never since I've lived here spent a solstice here in the city so I'm I guess I'm really excited to kind of see what that could be like. Um, I'm really interested in candle magic right now, which has been fun and seems really kind of appropriate for this time of year. But I'm also now looking at this lace doily and wondering if maybe I can, you know, make some sort of hanging out of it that would both preserve and honor the fabric and the weaving, or maybe if there's a way for me to get my hands on some evergreen to make garlands again.
0: sounds like you have all kinds of midwinter projects. (laughs) I know that your sun sign is in Aquarius, so I'm just curious how you feel about midwinter in general. How do you celebrate or survive the dark months?
1: You know, I I think as a smaller person, a a little witch, (laughs) I had a lot of problems um, in January is like my best friend and I growing up we called it you know having a case of the Januaries <laughs> and so every year we would kind of discuss like what we are going to do to survive um, thanks Chrissy <laughs> <laughs> and so um, you know I think we've kind of since grown away from that and now like we're talking about with with the cycles like really kind of honor that space and time. Um, last winter, Cody and I took a road trip across the country and down the coast of California during January, which was really interesting to kind of take in the different landscapes of this country um, during mm-hmm. that time period. Like North Dakota was so beautiful and the redwoods and really getting to like see and be out in it was a really, mm-hmm. really I don't know, powerful, for lack of a better word, way to like shift my perspective around, around that time. But, you know, I, I definitely have my moon calendar for 2021 already. And I don't know, I think that going inward, especially as a poet and a writer and a reader, which I'm sure you can relate to, it's like the perfect time for that.
0: Oh, absolutely. I feel like I have no problem whatsoever with the winter months. <laughs> Other than I hate being cold, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, growing up in California my whole life, I've lived in Northern California, Southern California, and then in the middle, Mm -hmm. but never really had like a true, true winter. You know, it's still sunny as can be over there. So it's really only been the past few years since I moved to the Azores that I've had more of a traditional winter and I really love it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's something really magic about snow. I remember living in Kalamazoo, and we got nineteen inches one winter in a couple hours. Oh, wow, <laughs> which it just really changes changes the landscape. And, like you were saying earlier, kind of this like dreamlike sensibility
0: I agree. I agree. It's like all the animals know, too, after it dumps that much snow, which I've only really experienced living in Northern California. Mm-hmm. But it's like all the animals disappear. It's like they know better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's like you
1: have to follow their lead. Yes, exactly. The hibernation months. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, the new podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Baloo and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at k8baloo and at Alchemy. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at tamedwild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Join us
0: for next week's episode where we explore the wild hunt, winter crones, and a couple of superstitions about the Yuletide season. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be, or something better. Until next time.